levees protecting New Orleans, the landscape of the city has changed dramatically, tragically, and perhaps irreversibly. There's now over 25 feet of water where there was once city streets and thriving neighborhoods. I hate the way they portray us in the media. If you see a black family, it says they're looting. If you see a white family, it says they're looking for food. And you know that it's been five days because most of the people are black. And even for me to complain about, I would be a hypocrite because I've tried to turn away from the teacher TV because it's too hard to watch. I've even been shopping before even giving a donation. So now I'm calling my business manager right now to see what's, what is the biggest amount I can give. And, and just to imagine if I was if I was down there and those are those are my people down there. So anybody out there that wants to do anything that we can help with with the setup, the way America is set up to help the um, uh, the poor, the, the black people, the uh, the less well off as slow as possible. I mean, this is Red Cross is doing everything they can. We, we already realize a lot of the people that could help are at war right now fighting another way. And they, they they've given them permission to go down and shoot us. And subtle, but in even many ways more profoundly devastating, is the lasting damage to the survivors' will to rebuild and remain in the area. The destruction of the spirit of the people of southern Louisiana and Mississippi may end up being the most tragic loss of all. George Bush doesn't care about black people. Hello, Love You One family. And welcome to the Lady Lioness Book Club Podcast. I am your host, Lady Lioness. And you can support this podcast by visiting my Facebook page, Lady Lioness Book Club, by sending me an email at ladylionesspodcast at gmail.com, by visiting my website, Lady Lioness Book Club Podcast.wordpress.com, and on anchor.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, if you would like to donate to this podcast, you can do so on my cash app, dollar sign fkelly13. Anything you can contribute will be greatly appreciated, and it will help this podcast continue to educate and will allow me to purchase the necessary equipment to take this podcast to the next level. Thanks in advance. And on today's podcast, I will be discussing the most racist presidents to ever be elected, So are you ready? Let's go. Listeners, I have a question. What is your definition of a racist? Is a racist someone who expresses their negative views about a particular race or ethnic group? Is a racist a person that uses speech that persons of an opposite ethnic group or race may find offensive? Or can a racist be someone who has systemically adopted laws and legislature that have prohibited persons of a certain class or ethnic group from reaping the full benefits of what this country has to offer? Well, if you answer yes to all of those questions, you are 100% correct. But to be fair, racism is in the eye of whomever beholds it. And my definition of racism may be different from your definition of racist to each is its own but racism is defined as prejudice discrimination 
or antagonism directed against a person or people on the basis of their membership in a particular racial or ethnic group, typically one that is a minority or marginalized. The belief that different races possess distinct characteristics, abilities, or qualities, especially so as to distinguish them as inferior or superior to another one, is another uh, definition of racism. So, I have a story to tell you. Every four years in America, we, the people, go to the polls to elect a puppet that we feel will have our best interests at hand. Someone who we feel will care and can somehow overnight change our conditions from bad to good. We look to those people to right wrongs that have been perpetuated on us for 402 years in this country because of slavery, Jim Crow, redlining, and laws that were created to keep us an oppressed people. With the fallacy that they will use their executive powers to change the laws for the betterment of our race. They fill us with the hope of a new day, a promise that the situation we are in can and will change. We even try to shame our brothers and sisters who don't vote by saying that we somehow are a disgrace to our ancestors and we look to those token leaders who we have deemed the mitigated authority on black issues. They say to us, I can't believe that you don't vote. And you ain't black if you don't vote. That's what's wrong with black people now. They don't vote. Or my favorite, you know your ancestors died for you to have the right to vote. No. Let me correct you. Our ancestors died for us to be free. Voting had nothing to do with it at all. And besides, what have you got uh, for your voting besides a lot of unfulfilled promises? Absolutely nothing is what you got and will continue to get. They come to our hoods because we have no communities with promises to build business, stop violence, and to build better schools for our children. They use celebrity puppets to encourage us to to do our civic duty and that we are traitors somehow to our race if we don't vote. They give us candidates that have a track record of the disenfranchisement and benign neglect of the black community. And somehow, just like program sheep, we go to the polls and vote. Instead of holding our vote, if no tangibles and laws are passed in our favor. This is what we say. Well, we gotta get them in there first, and then we will see some change. And then when we do get them in, they don't even mention us at all. Everyone else gets taken care of and gets something for their vote, except for black people. I'm gonna show you that you were never a priority to some of these presidents we elected. As a matter of fact, they like an unfaithful spouse to a side piece have lied, cheated, and filled you up with promises 
that they know they didn't intend to keep in the first place. So join me as I present to you the 12 most racist presidents in history. But before I get started, I want to let you know that a lot of the content that you hear on this podcast is going to have the potential to offend you. But this is what I ask of you. I ask that you look at things with an objective mind and not look at it one-sided. And know that if there is any doubt in anything that I say, do your own research. And feel free to contact me if I'm wrong about anything. I value your opinion and in facts that you uncover. And for the record, no, I am not a Republican or a Democrat. I have no party affiliation whatsoever. So now that we have that out of the way, let's begin. Coming in at number 12, we have Donald, the orange orangutan Trump. So what makes Trump a racist, you ask? Well, it's the fact that he tried to force Mexico to build a border wall and he deported millions of Latinos and ruthlessly terrorized Muslim Americans and the Black Lives Matter activists. He did the unthinkable to middle and low income by enacting laws to protect his billionaire friends' policies, like bailing out all of the major airlines, major companies, and left basically the middle class out in the cold. And told the Proud Boys, a far-right extremist group, to stand back and stand by instead of outright denouncing the group for interfering in the protest of Black Lives Matter shortly after the death of George Floyd. But not want to go down in history as one of the most racist presidents, he signed a bill in December of 2019 called the Future Act. And in this act, he gave $250 million a year to the nation's historically black colleges and universities or HBCUs, along with dozens of other institutions that serve large shares of minority students. And commenting on the act, Trump is quoted to say, when I took office, I promised to fight for HBCUs and my administration continues to deliver. Um, He also said a few months ago, funding for HBCUs was in jeopardy. But the White House and Congress came together and reached a historic agreement. Not bad for the most hated man in America, who was so hated that Americans voted for a man that had a hand in the mass incarceration of their husbands, sons, uncles, brothers, friends, you get where I'm going, etc. All while uttering the phrase, locked him up, but more of him later. Coming in at number 11 is George Walker Bush, who was president from 2001 to 2009. W, as he is called, called hell from the black American community for his response or the lack thereof in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina, a category five hurricane that hit New Orleans, Louisiana in August of 2001 with Kanye West saying in a telethon to raise money for relief efforts, George Bush doesn't care about black people. Besides obvious benign neglect towards blacks, he also declared war on the Muslim world in response to the 9-11 attack on the World Trade Center. 
calling it the war on terror and looking for weapons of mass destruction that were never found and warring against prominent terror groups such as Al-Qaeda, the Taliban, and Pakistan, to name a few. His actions led to the death of many innocent men, women, and children, as well as many of our soldiers that enlisted and that served in the United States Air Force. And there's all evidence pointing to 9-11 being an inside job from the government. I say alleged because I have to say alleged. But there's tons of uh, videos, resources that you can look up that point to the evidence um, being and not showing America in a very good light. So I encourage you to do your due diligence on that as well. Coming in at number 10, we have John Calvin Coolidge who was president from 1923 to 1929. So the, what makes Coolidge a racist is his response to the Great Mississippi River flood of 1927. Um, while most white communities were spared, Riverside black communities were intentionally flooded to reduce the pressure on the levees, which displaced thousands of blacks who were forced to work for their rations under the gun of the National Guard and area planners, leading to uh, a string of mass beatings, lynchings, and rapes. Secretary of Commerce Herbert Hoover, who preceded Calvin Coolidge as president, um, appointed was appointed to the head of the relief efforts, um, capitalized on Southern segregationist support for his flood mismanagement, and and like I said, succeeded Coolidge in the in the White House. Also, President Coolidge signed arguably the most racist and ethnocentric immigration act in history, an act championed by Republican eugenicists and Democratic Klansmen. The Immigration Act of 1924 was co-authored by Washington Congressman Albert Johnson, well-schooled in the theories of yellow peril that had rationalized discrimination against West Coast Asians for decades. The bipartisan, meaning Democratic and Republican, measure further restricted immigrations from the Southern and Eastern Europe area, severely restricted African immigrants, and altogether banned the immigrations of Arabs and Asians. Coolidge is quoted as saying, America must be kept American. And he said that during his first annual message to Congress in 1923, Coming in at number nine, we have Dwight David Eisenhower, or as I like to call him, G.I. Joe. Eisenhower is on the list of our favorite races because of what he did not do for black progression. Um, He made the list as a representative of all those U.S. presidents who did nothing to stop slavery, segregation, and mass incarceration of blacks in this country when NAACP lawyers persuaded the U.S. Supreme Court to rule Jim Crow as unconstitutional in 1954 via Brown v. the Board of Education. Eisenhower did not endorse Brown v. the Board of Education. He dragged his feet to enforce it. At a White House dinner the year before, in 1953, Eisenhower told Chief Justice Earl Warren of the Warren Commission 
who looked into the assassination of JFK, that he could understand why white Southerners wanted to make sure their sweet little girls were not required to sit alongside some big black buck. He reluctantly sent federal troops to protect the Little Rock Nine who were desegregating the Arkansas High School uh, in Little Rock, Arkansas. He considered the act to be the most repugnant of all of his presidential acts. During those critical years after um, the Brown decision, um, the former five-star World War II general did nothing to wage war against segregation and remains as much to blame as anyone for its persistence and for the lives that were lost fighting against it. Coming in at number eight, we have James K. Polk. He was president from 1845 to 1849. Polk made the, you know, you're a racist, win list because of the question to allow slavery in the West. Months after President Polk took office, Uh, John O'Sullivan had imagined white Americans manifest destiny to possess the whole of the continent which Providence has given us. You guys, you're you're a learned individual. You know what the manifest destiny was. I I know you heard of it in school. President Polk leaned on his racist idea when his administration waged war against Mexican Americans. Um, in the Mexican-American War from 1846 to 1848. War propagandists framed the U.S. as bringing some sort of freedom and civilization to what they call backward Mexicans. Um, From the war spoils, the U.S. sees from Mexico nearly all of what is the American Southwest. We're talking states like Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, Nevada, California, we're talking about those five states. A large land seizure that mirrored the ongoing violent seizures of Native American land and the ongoing violent seizures of and exploitation of black labor in the United States. Polk led the fight against those politicians and activists pressing to ban slavery in the new Southwestern territories. And if he would have had his way, slavery would have stretched to the Pacific Ocean, but that did not happen. He also looked away as white slaveholders and non-slaveholders danced around their legal protections for Mexican landowners inscribed in the 1848 Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo and went about illegally stealing the lands um, from the uh, Mexican-American citizens. Polk started a forgetful history of the Mexican Southwest and the long history of racism against Mexicans inside and outside of the border. Coming in at number seven, we have Thomas Woodrow Wilson, who was the 28th president serving from 1913 to 1921. A staunch segregationist and white supremacist, President Wilson never turned his back on the racist ideas that he had produced while a Princeton political scientist. President Wilson oversaw the resegregation of the federal government. Black federal workers, the ones that were not fired, and those that remained faced separate and unequal workspaces, lunchrooms, and bathrooms. He refused to appoint black ambassadors to Haiti and the Dominican Republic, as was custom. 
Professor Wilson and then President Wilson unapologetically backed what was called the Great Ku Klux Klan and championed the Klan's violent disenfranchisement of Southern African Americans in the late 19th century by showing the controversial film Birth of a Nation. And after the movie, after the screening of the movie, quoted it as in saying that it's like writing history with lightning. President Wilson began the brutal two-decade U.S. occupation of Haiti in 1915, preventing Haitians from self-governing, and possibly the most egregiously at the Versailles Convention settling World War I in 1919, President Wilson effectively killed Japan's proposal for a treaty recognizing racial equality, thus sustaining the life of European colonialism. Coming in at number six, we have Franklin Delano Roosevelt, the 32nd president from 1933 to 1945. This progressive racist makes the list because President Roosevelt's executive order that was issued in 1942 forcing more than 100,000 Japanese Americans into prisons during World War II is arguably one of the most racist executive orders in American history. He thankfully spared Germans and Italians, might I add, from the military prison, but nonetheless, it showed his racism. And while some of the white American competitors in the 1936 Berlin Olympics received invitations to the White House, Jesse Owens, a black athlete, did not even receive not one invitation to the White House. President Roosevelt's snub of the U.S. four-time gold medal winner came around the same time he was pushing through Congress all of the job benefits in his New Deal, like minimum wage, Social Security, and employment insurance, and unionizing rights. Farmers and domestics, Southern Blacks' primary vocations were excluded from the New Deal and federal relief was locally administered. Satisfying Southern segregationists, Northern segregationists were also satisfied by the housing discrimination in the New Deal incentives, basically redlining like coding black neighborhoods as unsuitable for new mortgages. As such, black communities remained buried in the Great Depression long after the 1930s, while these New Deal policies exploded the size of the white middle class. Number five, we have Thomas Jefferson, who was third president serving from 1801 to 1809. This degenerate makes a list because during his lifetime, Jefferson claimed ownership of, get this, over 600 slaves who were kept in his household and on his plantation. And striking controversy controversy um, was revolved around his relationship with Sally Hemmings, a mixed-race enslaved woman and his late wife's half-sister. According to DNA evidence from surviving descendants and oral history, Jefferson probably fathered at least six children with Hemings, four of them surviving into adulthood. Evidence suggests that Jefferson started the relationship with Hemings uh, when he was ambassador to France, uh, when she arrived at the age of 14, and when Jefferson was 44 years old. 
So not only is he a degenerate, he's a pedophile as well. By the time she returned to the United States at 16, she was pregnant. And we know by who. President Jefferson has emerged as the preeminent American authority on black inferiority. His racist idea that the blacks are inferior to the whites in endowments, both of body and mind. In his best-selling notes to the state of Virginia in 1787, were that impactful. His notes were useful for powerful Americans rationalizing slavery and the American Revolution. In the book, Jefferson also offered the most popular race relations solution of the 19th century, and that was the freeing, civilizing, and colonizing of all black Americans back to barbaric Africa. President Jefferson would be applauded by pushing Congress to pass the Slave Trade Act in 1807, which barred the international slave trade. But with that measure being replaced by another measure that was just downright sickening. So large slaveholders like President Jefferson supported this law since it increased the demand and value of their captives. They started deliberately breeding enslaved Africans to supply the demand of planters rushing into the Louisiana Territory, which President Jefferson purchased from Napoleon in France in 1803. He is quoted as saying, I consider a woman who brings a child every two years as more profitable than the best man on the farm. Jefferson explained to a friend on June 30th, 1820. And a little backstory about the breeding. It is said in many narratives, slave narratives, literature on slavery, that when the term motherfucker came from this period in time when they stopped the international slave trade and started breeding these slaves on what was called breeding farms they would make the older sons of these slave women they would make them sleep with their mothers that's where the term motherfucker comes from so you call somebody black a motherfucker, you've called them a real low-down, dirty, nasty thing. And that that's not very nice at all. So just wanted to give you a little bit of backstory on that. Coming in at number four, we have James Monroe, who was the fifth president of the United States, 1817-1825. Monroe is a racist because weeks before he was elected, candidate Monroe watched and supported the formation of the American Colonization Society, presiding over its first meeting. House Speaker Henry Clay, tasked with organizing the ridding of our country of a useless, if not dangerous, population and redeeming Africa from ignorance and barbarism. By 1821, President Monroe had seized a stripped coastal West African land. The first American colony in Africa was later named Liberia, and its capital was named Monrovia. But it was another namesake that really thrust President Monroe onto this list. He is quoted as saying, We, 
declare that we should consider any attempt on their part to extend their system to any portions of this hemisphere as dangerous to our peace and safety. Thus said President Monroe during his seventh annual message to Congress. And in 1923, several U.S. presidents used this Monroe Doctrine as as a rationalizing core for U.S. intervention into sovereign Latin American states, including the toppling of governments unfriendly to the U.S. interest. This Monroe Doctrine was as racist and devastating to Latin American communities abroad as the doctrine of manifest destiny was to indigenous communities at home. In 2013, President Barack Obama's Secretary of State, John Kerry, declared that that the Organization of American States, the new era of Monroe Doctrine, is over. Coming in at number three, we have Ronald Reagan, who was the 40th president of the United States from 1981 to 1989. This no good dog face sap as my father called him, made the list because of the welfare queen myth, who evoked the old slaveholder and segregationist mantra of states' rights. President Reagan attracted voters through racially coded appeals that allowed them to avoid admitting that they were attracted by racist appeals. He stood at the head of the reactionary movement that undid some of the material gains of the civil rights and black power activists. During President Reagan's first year in office, the median income for black families had climbed by 5.2%. And the number of poor Americans who were disproportionately black increased by 2.2 million, a sign of things to come under Reaganomics. Then in 1982, President Reagan announced his war on drugs at an auspicious time when drug use was declining. He is quoted as saying, we must mobilize all forces to stop the flow of drugs into this country. President Reagan surely did not mobilize any of his forces to stop the CIA-backed Contra rebels of Nicaragua from smuggling cocaine into the country to fund their operations. But he surely did mobilize his forces to draw media attention to the spreading of crack cocaine in 1985, which decimated the black community. and led to the mass incarceration of black and brown drug offenders over the next few decades. Like his campaign strategies, President Reagan took President Nixon's racist drug war to a new level, and the mass incarceration of black and brown bodies accelerated under, the, under Bush two times, and two times in the, Clinton, the Bush and Clinton administrations especially after Clinton's 1994 crime bill, and we'll get to that a little bit later. White drug offenders consuming and dealing drugs at a similar or greater rate remain disproportionately free. Reagan stands on this list as the representative of all three, all three of these mass incarcerating presidents in the late 20th century. Coming in at number two, we have Andrew Jackson, who was the seventh president 
from 1829 to 1837. Andrew Old Hickory Jackson, as he was called, was a degenerate and the face of our $20 bill. He was an enslaver and military general who had founded and spearheaded the Democratic Party. Jacksonian Democrats, as historians call them, amassed a winning coalition of Southern enslavers, white working people, and recent European immigrants who regularly rioted against abolitionists, indigenous and black communities, and civil rights activists before and after the Civil War. When the mass mailings of anti-slavery tracts captured national attention in 1835, President Jackson called on Congress to pass the law prohibiting under, under severe penalties the circulation of incendiary publications and the following year Jackson and his supporters instituted the infamous gag rule that effectively tabled all of the anti-slavery petitions rushing into Congress. And yet it was his Indian removal policies that were the most devastating of all of the lives of Native Americans and African Americans. Beginning with the Indian Removal Slave Act of 1830, President Jackson forced several Native American nations to relocate from their ancestral homelands in the southeastern United States to areas west of the Mississippi River, all to make way for those enslaved Africans being forcibly hauled into the Deep South. President Jackson helped forge this trail of, nat of Native American tears out of the Deep South and his this trail of African tears into the Deep South. And coming in at number one, we have Andrew Johnson, the 17th president from 1865 to 1869. Johnson is a special kind of a degenerate and a Democrat that was sworn in after the assassination of Abraham Lincoln, days after the Civil War ended. When President Johnson issued his Reconstruction proclamations about a month later on May 29, 1865, he deflated the high hopes of civil rights activists and former slaves alike. President Johnson offered amnesty, property rights, and voting rights to all but the highest Confederate officials most of whom he pardoned a year later. He later ordered the return of land to pardon Confederates, null and voided those wartime orders that granted blacks 40 acres and a mule and removed many of the black troops from the South. Feeling empowered by President Johnson's Confederate institution, uh, a series of discriminatory black codes at the Constitutional Conventions, that reformulated Southern states in the summer and fall of 1865. The immediate post-war South became the spitting image of the pre-war South in everything but name, as the law replaced the master. These racist policies caused a post-war war since an untold number of black people lost their lives resisting them. During this time, during Reconstruction, that's when the Ku Klux Klan was uh, formed. And all of the land that was promised to blacks 
by uh, General Sherman, Andrew Johnson reverse and he gave all of that land back to the slave owners uh, the the owners of it and that's why a lot of people did not get the 40 acres and a mule but Congress stepped up to unravel the reemergence of the Southern Confederacy in everything but name but President Johnson vetoed the Freedmen's Bureau Bill and Civil Rights Bill Act of 1866 compelling Congress to pass them over um, his veto President Johnson also opposed the 14th and 15th Amendments to the Constitution. And those 14th and 15th Amendments um, had everything to do with blacks. Those, the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment was solely written for black people as it related to slavery and reconstruction. And in 1868 became the first president to be impeached by the House of Representatives. He remained in office after being acquitted in the Senate by just one vote. But President Johnson has never been acquitted in the annals of history. Never. The next three presidents that I will talk about get the title of honorable mention because of bills introduced and laws passed that have been to the benefit of the privatization of our prisons, mass incarceration, and no legislature to stop the murder of our black men, women, and children by the hands of racist, corrupt police officers. Coming in, honorable mention number one, we have William Jefferson Clinton, called Bill, birth name Blythe. Clinton gets an honorable mention from having millions of blacks food and enamored with him because he acted like a so-called nigga and got oral sex in the Oval Office while his wife was nearby, smoked but did not inhale marijuana, played the saxophone on the Arsenio Hall show, and is alleged to have a baby mama who was black that he does not own up to till this very day. And I have to say alleged on the baby mama. During the Clinton administration, he enacted the Clinton Crime Bill of 1994 called the Violent Crime Control and Law Enforcement Act and is referred to as the 1994 Crime Bill, the Clinton Crime Bill, and oh, the Biden Crime Law. Um, it was an act of Congress dealing with the crime and law enforcement. It became law in 1994. It is the largest crime bill in history and con- consisted of 356 pages that provided over 100,000 new peace officers, 9.7 billion in funding for prisons, boom, the prison industrial complex, and 6.1 billion in funding for prevention programs. The only thing I think that came out of that was DARE. This is all I remember is DARE. Um, which were they say designed with significant input from experienced police officers. Yeah, okay. Sponsored by U.S. Representative Jack Brooks of Texas, the bill was passed by Congress and signed into law by President Bill Clinton, then Senator Joe Biden of Delaware, drafted the Senate version of the legislation in cooperation with the National Association of Police Organizations. And if anybody out there thinks that um, 
these politicians and these chiefs of police, these sheriffs of all of these counties and these big major cities, especially in democratic cities like Baltimore, like Las Vegas, like Los Angeles, if you think they're not in bed with one another, then you, you, you really need to do your research. You really need to get your head examined as well because they're in bed with one another. The reason why none of these people that commit these crimes against unarmed black men, women, and children is because they, they know that there's something that's going to happen to them. They're in bed with the attorney generals. They, I mean, it's, it's that brotherhood, that, that, that brotherhood that, you know, under that badge, you know, that's protecting that badge. So there's nothing that's ever going to be done to these people. And with this Derek Chauvin case uh, for the murder of George Floyd, I don't think he's going to be acquitted. Now, if I am wrong, then I will take my humble piece of pie, but I just really don't think it's going to happen. I just think it's a mere formality. But back to the subject. Clinton, along with now President Joe, Jim Crow Joe Biden, as I call him, was a senator from Wilmington, Delaware at the time and fought hard and heavy to get this bill passed. This bill gave way to the three strikes law that said if you were a repeat offender and it was your third strike that there was a mandatory minimum sentence, sometimes in some states, at least uh, 15 years to life for nonviolent offenses in most states, like I said. It is said that over 1 million people became incarcerated over a period of years directly uh, because of the policies of the 1994 Clinton crime bill with the effects decimating the black community. And a vast majority of us have family members that have been incarcerated since the mid 1990s because of the Clinton crime bill. I have two brothers. One brother is still in prison. Don't know when he's going to get out. He was caught up on a three strikes law in California, which California had a a uh, slightly different variation. But he got caught up on that three strikes law. And then I had another brother that did about 25 years in a penitentiary and was released in uh, 2019, I want to say. But they both got caught up on that three strikes law that uh, was a part of the 1994 Clinton crime bill. So honorable mention number two, we have Joseph Robinette Biden, who is the 46th president of the United States, who just started his term this year in 2021. Jim Crow Joe gets an honorable mention as a racist president because of his legislature of the 1994 Clinton crime bill as aforementioned and the fact that black Americans came out in record numbers to support him. And just weeks into his administration, he has yet to sign any legislature solely for the purpose to help black Americans establish businesses and enact laws to protect our black men, women, and children from being murdered in the streets by bad cops. But it has passed laws on transgenders in sports and in public restrooms, and for illegal aliens. Black Americans are long overdue Joe Biden for a hate crime legislature to be passed on our behalf. 
We are also owed reparations for payments of the decades of slavery and Jim Crow that we have faced in this country. And last but not least, and you know I had to do it, Barack Hussein Obama. Yes, I said Obama. Mr. I spent eight years in the White House and did not do a damn thing for my own kind, Obama. And you can get upset if you want. I'm just stating facts. The truth about Obama is that while he was president of the United States, blacks such as Trayvon Martin, Eric Gardner, Tamir Rice, Sandra Bland, Jordan Davis, Laquan McDonald, Michael Brown, and the list goes on lost their lives to the use of excessive force from police officers and also nine black members of Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina were murdered by Dylan Root, a white supremacist and instead of spearheading any kind of change to the policies or by signing any legislature making the murders of these unarmed black persons a hate crime and holding racist cops accountable, none of these race soldiers were convicted for these crimes. The only thing Obama could say was that he was sorry. And in true boule gatekeeper fashion, signed into law the Blue Alert Law of 2015, which gave protection to police officers under a suspected threat that a police officer can take lethal action on a suspect. Shoe first, ask questions never. So in conclusion, a majority of these presidents saw to, to it that black progression never really happened or was slowed down to a turtle's pace. The honorable mention presidents, Clinton, and Obama did see some positive gains with the Clinton administration raising the minimum wage from 425 to 515 and the FMLA Act that provided job protection if you needed to be off from maternity leave or to take care of a loved one. The Obama administration passed the Affordable Care Act, which made health care affordable for millions of Americans who would not otherwise qualify for programs such as Medicaid. It remains to be seen what we will get out of the Biden-Harris administration and who it will benefit the most. In my opinion, it will be the same shit, just a different day. I want to thank everyone for tuning in to the Lady Linus podcast. Your love and support means everything to me. I wish you well, be safe, and until next time, be one.